live stream. We are going live. Right. <clears throat> okay, you don't mind? Uh, every, we're going to, you know, you're our elder statesman. So. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, incognito, we couldn't tell. That's the truth. Okay, it's good. It's good to get there, you know. A lot of people I know haven't got here. Yes, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, you're still here. I'm still with here. All your, with all your wits to boot. With all your wits to boot. All right. Baruch Hashem, everybody. Chaim to life. Chaim. So I don't, I don't know about you, but when you were a kid and your mother, or worse yet, your father told you, go clean up your room, you probably uh, didn't do it out of love. You probably did it because you felt compelled. You know, you were forced. It wasn't something you really wanted to do. I know I wanted to go play ball hockey outside, you know. Or uh, be with friends. It Spend an extra five minutes, ten minutes to clean your room. Kind of compelled and forced. Right? So what value does that have? In the scheme of things. When I first came to Chabad, coming from a non-Chabad yeshiva, so part of uh, in Chabad, we do we go and do mitzvahim. Meaning, we share the wealth of mitzvahs with other Jews. I remember the, the first Friday afternoon going with uh, someone who's yeah, probably a couple of years older than me. And we were going to a hospital to put on tefillin with Yidin. And before almost there could be an answer to the question, if you want to put on tefillin, Already, my friend, my friend Fitzy, already had the tefillin on the guy. <laughs> almost, he almost didn't have a choice. He almost didn't have a, a choice, you know. Now we could have got thrown out there if he would have been upset with us and you know said, uh, you know, I didn't give any consent to this. What's going on over here? But uh, it was quickly on. The Shema said very quickly, and before he knew it. He was healed. No, 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 I'm just kidding. <laughs> the tefillin were off, and we were off to the next patient. Again, sort of like almost compelled. The consent was iffy. <laughs> you know, I was already on the guy and almost didn't have much of a choice. What does that mean exactly? I don't appreciate or understand that. Again, oops. What value is there in that? So no some, of the question, some of the questions that we are going to to deal with, and uh, it's a rhetoric question. We're going to get the we're going to get into the to the meat of things, and then we'll uh, um, come back to this. So. Purim is in the air. And not only in the air, it's in, even on our screen. Danny has someone doing some uh, Purim, you know, uh, stand up or stand on the head, you know, stuff. I don't know what's going on over there, Danny. Maybe you'll give us a little insight on in what's going on. Shimon Leib is in full, uh, full garb, you know, and uh, well, <laughs> looking all ready for Purim. The Vita has the Hamantashins already out there. And who else is, uh, let's see. Oh, Andrew is uh, looking like a lawyer, you know. He's uh, <laughs> almost, almost pinstripe suit, maybe, you know. Um, Tim is, uh, oh, oh, there's Queen Esther, Ahuba, Queen Esther. We have our queen here, okay. And uh, Michael's looking like he's on the front lines on, uh, in Ukraine, that he's uh, reporting from the front lines. Not far, he's actually not far from Ukraine. So, <laughs> uh, reporting to us live. 
So, uh, you know, everybody's got their get up. You know, I'm looking uh, like, you know, um, I don't know exactly what, but I'll leave that to your imagination. So we know the story. We know the characters. We know the end, you know. And the old saying is, as the old saying goes, they tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat, you know, or at least let's say l'chaim. So l'chaim everybody. L'chaim l'vrocha. Oh, and Michael's all uh, dressed up. I never saw him with a tie before. Oh, Michael, you're looking good. But the truth is, Purim, of course, is a long string of holidays and things that have happened to the Jewish people. But how far back does it really go? So, of course, everything is understood and appreciated on very on different levels. Now we're going to appreciate something about Purim that goes back all the way to the beginning of our beginnings as the Jewish people. And where's that, of course? Mount Sinai, because that's when we became Jewish people. Every single Jewish soul was present, either embodied in a, in a body, literally, or at least there in a soul. All souls were there. Even converts for future generations were also there at that time. As a matter of fact, Menachem Hill, I think you were stepping on my toes, you know, but uh, that's okay. Uh, as of now, I'm very forgiving. <laughs> as of now, I'm very forgiving. <laughs> so now uh, I say tongue in cheek, standing on my feet. But why were you standing on my feet? Because we were all at the foot of Mount Sinai, as the verse says. So let us go share the screen here. And of course, the story in Parsha is Yisrael, as we know, and it came to pass on the third day when it was morning that there was thunderclaps and lightning flashes and the thick cloud was upon the mountain and the sound of a very powerful blast of a shofar and the entire nation that was in the camp shuddered. Moshe brought the people out toward God from the camp and they stood there at the bottom of the mountain. And in Hebrew, it's Tachti Sahar. Like at the, they were at the bottom of the mountain or the end of the mountain or um, yeah, some, the foot of the mountain, another way, right? But we'll see tachtis, so that word in Hebrew. And the entire, excuse me, the entire Mount Sinai smoked because of God that had descended upon it in a fire and its smoke ascended like a smoke of, a ki of the kiln. And the entire mountain quaked violently. The sound of the shofar grew increasingly stronger. Moshe would speak and God would answer him with a voice. And in the last verse, and God descended upon the mountain to the peak of the mountains. And God summoned Moshe to the peak of the mountain and Moshe ascended. Very dramatic. Talmud then comes and tells us that this term, Tachti Sahar, they were at the bottom of the mountain. Right? What does it mean exactly, the bottom? What does it mean? How do we understand that term? Okay, simply understood. It means they were at the foot of the mountain, right? That's where uh, Menachem Hillel, you were stepping on my toes, right? It was very crowded. There were two and a half million people there at the foot of a mountain. You know, it's going to get a, a, little, a little crushed, but it's okay. I've since experienced that in 770 by the Rebbe. I know what it means to be stepped upon. I know what it means to be to have a crushing experience <laughs> um, of all Jews coming together. So beautiful. But that's the simple meaning. The Midrashic meaning, the Talmud tells us in, in the Gemara Shabbos, and they stood at the bottom of the mountain. The uh, Rabbi Avidemi Bar Chama Bar Chasa said the Jewish people actually stood beneath the mountain. Oh, they weren't just at the bottom of the mountain. They were actually beneath the mountain. Because Takhti Sahar means actually beneath the mountain. Right? Um, 
beneath the mountain. And the verse teaches us that the Holy One, blessed be you, overturned the mountain above the Jews like a barrel. And he said to them, if you accept the Torah, excellent. And if not, eh, it will be your burial. From here, there is a substantial caveat to the obligation to fulfill the Torah. Wow, that's uh, pretty awesome. What does it mean, a substantial caveat? So there's a halakhic principle that um, we learned this in Rambam recently. That if you sign the contract under duress and you stand up and you tell uh, some witnesses or you make a public notification about it, it actually, what it does is invalidate the uh, contract that you signed. Why? Because it was under duress. So that's a legal mechanism that completely discredits the transaction that was made. Andrew, any comments on that? My uh, metra, in here we call you metra. Um, right? So if you make, you know, a... Uh, you know, such a statement, it becomes, you invalidate the, the transaction, right? So if that's the case, why don't we use the same logic when it comes to the Torah? That under duress, it was imposed upon us and therefore it's not binding. That's what it would sound like if you're looking from a halachic position, so that's the first part of the Talmud. The Talmud then continues and it says, well, there's a remedy to that caveat, to that statement. And it came hundreds of years later. And you know where? Purim, the story of Purim. So the, the Talmud continues and it tells us that uh, based on the Megillah, let's first look at the Megillah. So we have our source material for Haman, the son of the Agagi, the adversary of all the Jews, had devised to destroy the Jews. And he cast a poor, which that is the lot, right? Lottery. That's what the word pouring comes from, to, to terrify them and destroy them. And when she, Esther, came before the king, he, Ahasuerus, commanded through the letters that this evil device that he had devised against the Jews return upon his own head and to destroy him and his sons on the gallows. This is after the, this is after the story, right? This is repeating what had happened. He was, you know, he was hung on the gallows together with his sons. Therefore, they call these days Purim, after the name Pur, right? Which means lottery and what they saw concerning this matter and what happened to them. The Jews upheld. This is the key words over here. In Hebrew, in, uh, in Chavzayin, you can see on, uh, over here, and the Jews upheld and took upon themselves and upon their seed and upon all those who joined them that it is not to be revoked to make these two days, Purim and Shushan Purim, the following day, right, where it's celebrated in Jerusalem in a walled city, according to their script and according to their appointed time every year. This is the story, right? So the key words we want over here, again, is the Jews upheld and took upon themselves, simply means that they accepted to keep the holiday. But if that were the case, it would be enough to say, v'kiblu ha-yehudim. Kimu v'kiblu. What does it mean? That they upheld. What, what, what do you mean they upheld? What did they uphold? There's nothing to uphold. Kiblu means they accept. Uphold means uphold something. Well, if you're only accepting it now, what are you upholding? Is that clear? You know what they're upholding? That which the Jewish people under duress accepted at Mount Sinai. So with this now we can understand the, what, was, what was resolved in Mount Sinai, we were under duress to accept. Finally, wholeheartedly, we accepted at the, in the story of Purim. 
And that's what the Gemara continues and tells us. Rabba said, even though they were coerced to accept the Torah at Sinai, right, with the, uh, with the as we'll explain shortly, the, the, the gigis, the, the barrel that was of the mountain that was placed over them, you know, and they again accepted it willingly in the time of Achashverosh, as the verse says, and the Jews upheld and took upon themselves. Upheld what? Upheld that which was already given to them previously, meaning that they upheld that which was already accepted upon them at Sinai. Wow. So, but this then gets a, a very, very strong question. You mean finally they're accepting? So what happened at, at Sinai in the first place? And if it wasn't legal, according to halacha, as we mentioned earlier, right, that you can discredit or you can annul the, the transaction if it's under duress of a sale of something. So what happened over here? And furthermore, what's going on at Mount Sinai? God wasn't confident enough in the Jewish uh, people. He had to threaten them. He had to coerce them. I mean, after all, didn't we see a lot of miracles? Didn't we see things? Didn't even we declare Nasev and Ishma? Didn't we do that? So the Teisvis in, in, in the Gemara asked the question. He overturned the mountain above the Jews like a barrel. Why would it be necessary if the Jews already accepted the Torah by saying, Nasev and Ishma, we will do and we will obey? Right? Furthermore, in the story of Purim, what exactly happened to the Jews there? You know, that all of a sudden this is considered like full, you know, full circle from Mount Sinai till today. I mean, we had a lot of other enemies besides Haman. Okay, it's true, Haman wanted to destroy the entire Jewish people. But, you know, in, in Chumash yet, we have the Amorites, we have the uh, Midianites, Yeshua had the Canaanites. Cheskiyahu had the Assyrians. So what is specific about the holiday of Purim that it's now that we say we full heart, wholeheartedly accept the Torah? What is unique about this celebration? About this story, actually? Get, get a little warm over here. So how do we take this medrash that says that God places the mountain over them? We take that literally? When do we know what's literal and what's figurative? When do we understand that distinction? A good question. Valid question, right? So the Altadab explains that really what this means is that God, with his overwhelming love and devotion and revelation of himself, left but no choice to the Jewish people. And in that sense, they were coerced to accept the Torah. Let's see what the Alter Rebbe says in Torah Or. This is why God overturned the mountain above them like a barrel. As the verse says, his right hand embraces me. It implies a degree of expression of God's supernal love for the Jewish people. This love embraces the collective Jewish people as when one hugs another person surrounding them from all sides, even the back, so that they cannot move away. And they are compelled to stand there facing the lover. In other words, God, because of God's supernal love, a love awakened within the souls of the Jewish people, uplifting them to the point where they would declare, Nasev Ishma, we will do and we will obey. Revealing this light of love. So uh, actually, so we see from here, it's not a contradiction. We will, we will do and we will obey is a direct result of God's revelation of deep love for them. That's why they said it. Revealing this light of love from above 
such as it is. I loved you, said God, awakens a corresponding love from below to above. This is the uh, elevation of the Jewish collective and the expiration of their souls towards him, expiration rather, of their souls towards him. This is the meaning of overturning of the mountain. It suggests the supernal love, which is referred to as a mountain, a mountain of love, right? It is likened to a barrel, which is there's something that surrounds and overwhelms all worlds, a light so intense that it awakens a love within them. So this is what it means. God is expressing himself in such a manner, all-encompassing, like a barrel is all-encompassing, and a, a mountain of love, right, that is upon them. They're getting such a revelation of that to God. So it wasn't that God threatened them. It's not the real point over here. He's smothering them with love. You know, then sometimes smothering with your love can, you know, bury you in that love. Right? <laughs> Figuratively speaking. It's so tight that it gives you no alternative. And that, with that, we can understand when they're, when God spoke to the Jewish people, their souls took flight because the revelation of godliness was so powerful. It wasn't just a revelation of God. It was a revelation of God's love and embracing them it was so powerful that they couldn't but say yes. They couldn't say no. But if you can't say no, is your yes a real yes? With this now, we can understand the deeper understanding right? That as the Altareb explains, This then is the meaning of our sage's statement. And from here, there's a substantial caveat for the obligation to fulfill the Torah. In other words, the feelings that stirred in their hearts to accept Torah with such sacrifice and surrender that they declared that we will do and we will obey was not entirely a result of their own choice and desire. Rather, it was on account of the revelation of God's love from on high that inspired their reciprocal love towards him. That's amazing. That's beautiful. But will it last? How powerful will it be if it's only from above? And it's not truly incorporated and integrated from within. So much so that their souls took flight that it was not absorbed. It was not integrated. It wasn't assimilated and became a part of them. It was too much for them. This is where porn comes in. Thousands of years pass since Sinai. We have a destruction of the Holy Temple. God's presence is concealed. Not only are we in exile, the destruction of the first Holy Temple in Babylon, right? Or in, in, in Persia in this time, right? But we're in such a exile that is so dark that there is a decree by Haman that has the uh, signet of King Ahasuerus to destroy the entire Jewish people. God is really hidden. To this point, we never faced such um, you know, such anti-Semitism, such murderous, uncompromising hatred towards Jews. Yeah, the, we had uh, the Canaanites, we had the Assyrians and so on, but nothing to this degree. Where, and in particular, where God's presence was not only in exile, but in hiding. This was new. They couldn't even see where the rescue would come from any place. And the truth is, there was one way they could rescue themselves. Just to opt out from being Jewish. And then the decree doesn't apply to you. If you didn't want to identify, you wouldn't have the catastrophe that was waiting for the Jewish people. And think of the circumstance. Why would anybody remain loyal? 
today if you're Jewish, so it's a ticket out of Ukraine because there's people on the other side who are eagerly want you, whether it's Chabad, whether it's in Israel, or any Jew ready to, but back then, there was nowhere to run. There was no border to go to that you could escape. So Purim stands in stark contrast to our Sinai, to Mount Sinai. We had every reason to reject. At Mount Sinai, we had every reason to accept. But the challenge of Mount Sinai was we had every reason to accept, but that was compelled from above. And here we had every reason to reject from below, and yet that's not what happened. Jews remained loyal to their faith. Not a single Jew renounced their faith. As the Altar Rebbe says, in Torah or, had they apostatized, God forbid, nothing would have happened to them. For the decree only applied to the Jews. Nevertheless, not one of them even entertained an outside thought, God forbid, and instead sacrificed their lives for God. Well, that's pretty powerful. Now, now, not only did they remain loyal to God and not opt out from being Jewish, but they did so proudly. They did so openly. Mordechai led the Jewish people, as the Talmud tells us, in public gatherings and prayer and study to defy Haman. But the Medrash tells us very clearly that Haman prepared a tree for a gallows for Mordechai. And he went to Mordechai and found them sitting in the study hall with children surrounding him. And there were many children around him. And they were all committed to him and to their studies, even though Haman the wicked had different plans. So they stood strongly. Where did this strength come from? Where is this capability to come from? It came from Mount Sinai. That's where it began. It began in Mount Sinai. This is a, a mere culmination. But the power that was invested in every single soul in Mount Sinai, that to remain loyal, was given then, because we were infused with a Jewish soul. So at that time when we were infused with it, that it becomes so powerfully a part of every fiber of our being, at that point, it was compelled upon us. It was something that was greater than us. It took many generations until we finally were able to express it, that it became us. And it became us in the sense that it became us in a conscious living way, as opposed to that it is the the, the experiential conscious manner, as opposed to the deep-seated soul that is deep down within us that doesn't find that expression until Purim comes and reveals Kimo Vikibu. Right? So for this reason comes Purim. All Jews are obligated to celebrate on pouring with food and drink and give thanks to God for all the miracles that he wrought, as is stated, to make them the days of feasting and joy. The day of pouring is greater than the day the Torah was given. My the son of Rabina demonstrated this, that he would fast every day of the year except for two days, the days of Shuz and the days of uh, the Torah was given and the two days of pouring. That's how powerful it is, right? But now we have a question. If that's the case, that this is a culmination of everything that happened to us at, from Mount Sinai, it's a powerful idea. How come this is not reflected at all in the celebration of Portland? 
pray tell, for many of you, this might be a new idea. I mean, this is in some of the teachings that um, we have in Purim, and perhaps we've, we've learned this idea previously. But in what way does this profound idea that everything that at Mount Sinai, that we were imbued with a powerful soul, a Jewish soul, a divine soul, that would never repudiate our Jewishness, and that would, um, that we would wholeheartedly accept even in the most difficult circumstance where we could repudiate it very simply. As in the story of Purim, we could have just renounced our Jewishness and no decree on us. But we're given at Mount Sinai such a powerful soul that comes to the fore in the story of Purim. And others, the rededication, the recommitment, the strength of who we are is expressed really in Purim. So then the mitzvahs of Purim and the celebration of Purim, how does that reflect it? It doesn't seem to. It seems like, you know, think about it. Till this point, what was Purim for each and every one of us? Very simple. They tried to annihilate it, uh, annihilate us. We won. Let's celebrate. It doesn't seem to be something connected with Har Sinai, with Mount Sinai, and the beginnings of our people. And now we come to full, full circle, wholeheartedly accepting it wasn't, you know, complete. It was its complete consent, complete willingness, as opposed to overwhelmed at Mount Sinai. So where does the story bring this idea across besides this little extra one word, Kimu, <laughs> for all this, the Talmud, the sages in our Talmud made a big deal, but the holiday doesn't seem to reflect it. We read the Megillah, we give gifts to the poor. We give shalach manis, two edible foods to a friend, a man to a man, a woman to a woman. And um, we have a suddas purim. We have a festive meal. How do these things reflect anything? But, you know, something, hey, it's holiday. Let's celebrate. Right? Is that clear? Question. So let's go back to this idea that they're upholding that which they already kept. So Purim is really about rededication, that we're rededicating ourselves, that instead of being overwhelmed by God's presence, and therefore almost having no uh, choice in the matter, as it was in Mount Sinai. Um, so we say, okay, there, we're, we're there for you, God. As opposed to Purim, God is completely concealed, not only in the fact that Holy Temple was destroyed and we're in exile, but there's a horrific decree against the entire Jewish people. And yet we willfully intentionally, individually accepted our connection to God, our fate to be part of the Jewish people. And we freely chose. So we rededicate ourselves in a very powerful way. So the Rebbe explains like this. It's like this. So we mentioned the four mitzvahs, right? I might please make sure everybody do the four mitzvahs for the holiday on Thursday. Actually, we start with Wednesday night. We read the Megillah. And we read it again by day. So then it says, so what's the rededication over here? What's the wholehearted 
commitment in this mitzvah? So he says, well, you know, when you read, first of all, it's part of, you know, it's Torah that we're reading from, from the Suvim, from the writings, but it is part of Torah. Um, but there's something unique here. When do we read from Torah? During the day. And how often do you read a Parsha? The whole Parsha. One time. Here, the whole Megillah is being read two times. And one time is even by night. So we have an obligation by night and by day. So when you have a wholehearted dedication to something, the fact that it's rededication, read like doubled. So here's doubled. Reading it by day, which would be, okay, that makes sense. But also by night, that's something unusual. Adding, we're rededicating. That's an expression of rededicating means we're dedicating to that which you already have. We already have the concept of Torah and reading Torah. But here it's rededication and the fact that we are doubling our efforts. We're hearing it twice. And not only we're hearing it twice, but you know what? You got to hear every word. Very careful. And that's why we even when you, uh, stamp your feet and you, and you, uh, with the groggers you make for Haman, you have to make sure. Stop and then pay attention. You don't want to miss a word. That's how rededicated we are to it. Right? Well, how about Shalach Manas? What's Shalach Manas really about? Anybody? Would be an expression of a mitzvah that already exists, which is Abbas Yisrael. But what's the difference between Abbas Yisrael loving a fellow Jew and this particular mitzvah? Anybody? Does he have to seek out your friend and give them a gift? Abbas Yisrael doesn't mean you have to seek out your friend and give them a gift. But Purim, rededication, is that not only do we have a love for another Jew, but we're seeking out that other Jew to express that love, to give them something, food. So again, it's, it's a rededication. Abbas Yisrael, a whole year you have to have Abbas Yisrael. But not a whole year you have to go and seek out a friend to give them. So they have explained, no, no, that's showing the rededication in Abbas Yisrael, which is a cardinal principle of the Torah. Furthermore, what's the other mitzvah that we have to fulfill? Giving money, money. to the poor, right? Giving money to the poor, which is the mitzvah of tzedakah. Tzedakah. Exactly, tzedakah. Exactly, that's what the mitzvah is. Two different charities, right? So you have to give to two different uh, to two poor people, right? On Purim, two local chabads. No, no, to poor people. It's not. Yeah. To, it's not the chabad. I mean, chabad you give the rest of the year. I guess the rabbi. <laughs> I guess my no, rabbi. Said no, when you give to when you give to chabad, people give it to me, but I I distribute it to poor people. Oh, okay. All right. That's where that, that money has to go to poor people, right? Yeah. It, it's not, you know, listen, Chabad, uh, you know, whether we're poor or rich, <laughs> it means to, and, and, and I'll explain more deeply in a moment the, the idea, right? So you, you need to go. So it's, it's an expression of the mitzvah of tzedakah, except what's the difference here? During the year, do you have to go find somebody? Not, no, not necessarily. Someone comes to you, so you give them. Someone knocked on my door earlier, and I answered the door, and I gave tzedakah. But I didn't go looking for someone. Pour him, you have to look for somebody. So you go to a Chabad rabbi, he'll, he'll take it for you, and he's going to give it on that day. I, you have to make sure to give it on that day. Or if you can't find someone poor on that day, then hold it and give it afterwards. But the real mitzvah is for that day to give it. And we'll explain a little more on that. So it's, it's already a mitzvah that we have, that we committed in Mount Sinai. What do we say Mount Sinai? We will do, right? We will do it. God, whatever you want. But now we're, we're doing it to a, a higher degree. How are we doing it? 
seeking out somebody. You don't do that during the year. Two people, as a matter of fact, right? And this is what the Rebbe explains in this week's Sikha. According to the Amano um, Talevi, um, a prominent commentary on the Megillah, the idea of Mishlayach Manes is to increase camaraderie. This is the mitzvah throughout the year, the mitzvah of Avas Yisrael, considered to be a cardinal principle of the Torah. However, the mitzvah of Avas Yisrael doesn't require one to actively seek out someone with whom to be kind. The novelty of Mishlayach Manes is that one is required to seek out a friend and, uh, and present them with a food package, something that the beneficiary can immediately enjoy, immediately feel the impact of friendship. The same as Matanus Lev Yainim, the mitzvah of tzedakah, to giving to the poor, is in force all year round. You have to give tzedakah to the poor, but on Purim, there's an added dimension. It's not enough to give to the poor if and when you chance upon them. No, a person must actively seek out two poor people and give them gifts, give them money, right? And it says, this highlights the Purim theme of recommitment, a rededication. These are mitzvahs that Jews already committed to uphold. When? When did we commit to this? Mount Sinai. Remember? You don't remember? The mountain over us. Nachamil, you don't remember? I mean, you, 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 you squeezed into me because you're just afraid the mountain's going to fall on you. You're afraid God's love was so embracing that it was just too much. Right? That's a, a beautiful metaphor. So the obligation of such mitzvahs is, uh, is enforced regardless. Yet on Purim, they are infused with an added recommitment, a reinforcement, a renewed vigor. Beautiful. It ever takes us to a further degree. It takes us a further degree. And he's medayik, and I won't go into the all the uh, the the uh, intricacies. Hey, what happened to Shimon Lee? Oh, won't go into all the intricacies of the Rambam, but the verse says very interesting. At the end, we quote a part of the verse. It says, "Last so you say some you may mishka." So at the end, it says to make them days of. Simcha, right? That this is what the Megillah says. Megillah says to, right? To make them days of Simcha, joy. Oh, sorry, Mishte. Mishte means a celebrative, uh, celebrative time. Celebrative festive time, right? This Simcha and joyful. Mishloyach manas o matanas And then it adds to do Mishloyach manas, meaning to give the uh, two edible things to a friend, right? And matanas and to give um, charity to the poor. So the Rebbe learns out from the Rambam, fascinating idea. So what's the real mitzvah of Purim? Well, it says to make it days of mishte. Mishte means to drink, actually, by the way. Machai, hi, everybody. Get ready. Drink some water now, because later. <laughs> to make him days of celebration. That's what it is. And simcha. And the sholach manis is an extension of that. The charity is an extension of that. What do I mean that's an extension of that? Why are you giving edible food to your friend? So he could celebrate. You're creating friendship, but as an extension of celebrating, right? That's what's happening. As an extension of celebrating, that's what you're giving to your friend. You're not just giving, another, another, you're not just giving to create friendship, but the, the, the fact that it's edible foods is that he can now add this to his celebration, his own celebration, whether it's a celebration with you, celebration with another. 
with others, whatever it is, it's something edible that now on this day, because you're supposed to give it by during the day, then I it can add this to my celebration. Because it's an extension, the words shalach manas come after making mishte v'simcha, making a celebrative festive uh, time that is full of joy. And then it says to give the shalach manas. Why? So that that person can also celebrate, your friend can celebrate again with you, Maybe you're going to say L'chaim together. Maybe, uh, you know, whatever it is. Or he's going to have it for his own celebration. And then it says also that you have to give matanus You have to give gifts to the poor. You have to give money to the poor. Why? So they can do celebrate. As the Ramam says, that you should not have your own celebration. And there are people who can't celebrate. Make sure that they have money. You have to give them money. He's, he's explaining the, the, uh, the concept, the idea of the mitzvah over here. Now you're going to celebrate. So why is, it, why is the Megillah telling us you should give to others? Because an extension of your celebration is another Jew is celebrating. A friend is celebrating because you're giving food. And a poor person is celebrating because you're giving them money so they can buy food with that. So they can buy food with that. So this is the idea that ultimately it's a, an extension of the celebration of, of the holiday. And, and what are we celebrating? That which we were already given, but now we're bringing it up several notches. We were given already that we should celebrate. We have many different occasions to celebrate, right? But we're never told to celebrate this way, to give a gift to a friend, to make sure the poor on, on the day have. There's no mitzvah like that. There's a general mitzvah to take care of the poor. And yes, they need to have their needs for Shabbos and, and, and for holidays, that is true. But here it's like on the day itself, bring celebration to them. So you're saying, in other words, it, it's... It, what is celebration, by the way? Doing something that you feel obliged to do doesn't necessarily bring you to celebrate. At Mount Sinai, we were obliged out of God's great love, but it didn't penetrate yet in our psyche, in our minds, in our hearts. It didn't filter and become organic a part of me at Mount Sinai. So. Uh, it's like, you know, of course I'm going to do God. I mean, like, you know, the presence is so real. But you don't, you know, it's, it, it's hard to celebrate that. Why? Because celebration means food and drink that you celebrate with. What does it mean? It's a human thing that it filters through the humanness of the person. Mount Sinai, it wasn't human. It was pure divine. Which, by the way, that. It gives us an understanding of how they were able to get to a golden calf afterwards, right? Because it fizzles away until it integrates into the human condition. Human condition that I understand it, uh, it's a part of me, I appreciate it, I feel it so much so that I don't negate my Judaism, uh, I embrace it entirely, even though there's a decree against me and against the entire Jewish people. And, you know, and now, when you celebrate, what celebrates? When you celebrate, it's an, a human thing, especially when it's got to do with food, especially when it's got to do with l'chaim. That's a human thing because it filtered into that humanness of us. That's what was kimu. We finally came to that. We finally, full circle, it was now integrated in a part of us and we accept it totally. Oh, welcome, Stephen. <laughs> uh, that it be, uh, that it's a part of us, and that's the 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 key is celebrate, right? That's the key over here. All right, folks, you're amazing, amazing, all of you. Any questions? Any comments? I thought also part of it 
was it to spiritually and physically uh, and, and that's a strength to, to the point where you, we, we have to remember Amalek, but also blot them out. Isn't that part of the major part of Purim too? Um, I think that's a preparation. Yeah, I mean, it is. You're right, because that's what the groggers we blow when we hear Haman's name, you want to blot him out. Yeah, but that's not the real, uh, let's say you didn't do that so much. What's the key to, what's, it's celebration. You may, mishta v'simcha are the words, right? Of the Megillah. Days of mishta, which means drink, means celebrative. The word mishta means to drink, right? Because that's associated more with celebration, right? Um, and so it, celebrating with food, drink, right? That idea is the mainstay of it, that that concept. And it's expressed by giving to your friend and expressed by giving to the poor and so on, right? That That's the key. That's the key over here. Um, so yeah, there is that element, but that's not the, that's not the mainstay of it. Megillah doesn't speak about that. The Megillah tells us, make it into days of celebration. It doesn't say blot out and destroy a Malik. That's a precursor. And that's why we read it before, the Shabbos before is a precursor. But that, that's, you know, you know, you remind me when I was in a non-Chabad yeshiva. So, you know, <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to say that. Another time. We need a time for that. Um... You come to Chabad to celebrate, then I can tell you that story. But not to, without Lachai. I'll be in Chabad. I've got one minute left. I've Makes got one the, minute left. I'm, 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 I, 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 I wish I could take more um, uh, uh, questions and comments, but I really don't have the time because I have another obligation. So I'm not going to take questions right now. You could send it to me or on the daily, uh, you know, learning, uh, you could, uh, we, you could uh, bring that up. But what I do want to wish everybody, make this Purim, it needs to be, we have to transform. It's been two years. We haven't had Purim here for two years. We didn't have last year a Purim, <laughs> at least not gathering together and to have a real celebration. This is a homecoming. Make sure it's a real homecoming. That it's a powerful homecoming. So make sure you celebrate with Chabad wherever you are, because that's the only places to celebrate. I mean, yeah, you can go other places, but Menachem Hill, make sure you come back home afterwards to us. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's the only place to, to celebrate. Uh, and uh, I wish everybody to make sure you fulfill all the mitzvahs, all the mitzvahs. Can I have a short question? No, no, no. I'm sorry, Michael. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm late and I am... Uh, I have a wife that I have to answer to. <laughs> uh, okay. Michael, it would be a pleasure, but you're going to have to ask it uh, on the Tanya, okay? But, uh, God bless you all. Thank you. Make sure everybody does the mitzvahs on here in the Megillah twice and, and give uh, gifts to the poor on Thursday. You have to do that only on Thursday, though, those mitzvahs. Megillah reading is Wednesday night and Thursday. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. 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 Thank you, ever